Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manu Weff. And today I'm joined just by Andrew Flint all the way in Siberia. Andrew, how's it going? It's just going to be the two of us. Um, Tim, unfortunately, could not make the podcast today, but you know, I, I guess we'll be just all right. Um, doing some of these interesting topics that we have to just today for the two of us. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, hope, so, hope things gets better. I'm sure we'll be bouncing back pretty soon. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, swelteringly hot here. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's very typical for Siberia, as everybody knows that it's scorching plus 35 degrees mosquitoes everywhere. But more importantly, more importantly, Tumen football is back. I'm sure we'll discuss that in a moment anyway. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll do our lower level, uh, Siberian football segment. Fear not, fear not. It's, it's going to be a significant part of this podcast. Sweltering hot heat, you say, and mosquitoes. So you're basically going from a frozen overhell to one that's scorching hot. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's. Um, I, I've not really done any research into it, but I'm almost convinced that that the place where I live must be the have the greatest range of temperature in one place over the course of a year anywhere on earth because we can go from minus 40 to plus 40 and i don't know anywhere that goes quite as nuts as that but anyway um as long as football can be played that's all that i care about and at the moment it can be well i i agree and i think we should quickly go from the final chapter of dante's inferno to the uh, some football news here shouldn't we um <laughs> Let's start with a little piece of news that I found pretty intriguing. Uh, this is a transfer. Markus Berg to Krasnodar. Mm. Um, at a first glance, not exactly the kind of player that they usually target. Right, Andrew? Like a 32-year-old striker from mm. uh, United Arab Emirates. Um, I remember Markus Berg as the golden boot winner of the 2009 European U21 European Championships where he was outstanding. I did a piece on him over on footballgrad.com and um, one of the things that I kind of pointed out why if why he then failed at Hamburg is he was almost mm -hmm. the wrong player at the, at the wrong club at the wrong time because um, this is 2009. Remember 2009 to 2014 this grace that we had without uh, playing without Natural strikers, you know, the natural number nines dying out. Didn't Manchester United at one point play in like a 5-6 formation without a striker? Remember that? Under Fergie? Um, and all those, <laughs> that was fun. And, and Germany like had no natural striker for a few years. And um, the number nine was quickly as quickly becoming extinct as the dinosaurs or Hamburg SV for that matter. Um, so... It's kind of odd that, you know, all of a sudden clubs are looking for these strikers again and they, they're kind of hard to find. You know, there's number nine that doesn't have very many, very much yeah. uh, attacking actions throughout a game. Um, but all the attacking actions he has is him putting the ball in the net. And I think Marcus Berg in many ways is that sort of player. Yeah, I agree with you. It's a slightly odd profile for a club like Krasada. 
Um, even if even if we were talking about a player who was more of a you know, a mobile, slightly more versatile forward who could possibly play slightly wider or slightly deeper, I'd still say it's slightly odd, simply because Krasada already have two frontline strikers. Um, Ari is he's getting on, admittedly, but he's still performing at a very good level in the Russian Premier League. He's still got enough pace to trouble defences. He's got a lot of strength, so he can play that number nine role. Uh, he's got the experience. Uh, he's got a good form. Uh, and then, of course, Ivan Ignatiev is still there. Now, this is where I find the transfer most interesting. Not because of Marcus Berg himself, although I'm, I'm sure he will do well, um, but because of what it kind of says about Ivan Ignatiev and his chances for this season. Realistically, we should be talking about Ignatiev being their first-choice striker. He broke through arguably last season. He looks really good. He perhaps in some games was a little reticent, a little nervous, but his confidence grew. And I would say he was blooded in about enough to be, right, okay, now you're on number nine, off you go, scores 15 goals. And I think he would have done. Um, but then it suggests that the talk we heard a few months ago of him being a bit awkward with contract negotiations Krasnodar admittedly weren't offering him very much, were they? Um, and I wonder whether this transfer is a sign that they are not a power play, but saying, all right, you think you're that good. You've still got to earn it. You've not made it just yet. Um, but anyway, we'll see. It's an extra body, an experienced player. Should score a good few goals. So we'll see if it brings out the best in Ignatia. Yeah, yeah. Final season in Greece, he scored 22 goals in 25 games. Um, you know, that's... A similar level-ish. Uh, last year, the last two years in Euro United Arab Emirates at the Golf League, um, you know, he scored tons of goals too, but you know, it's, it's the golf, mm. it's the golf league. Um, so <laughs> I, I wouldn't really put too much emphasis on those numbers, but it's, it's an interest. Yeah. It's just an interesting one. I mean, it, it, it's also the fact that they're in the potentially in the Champions League, right? So. Um, I guess they needed to really just get another body in there. Um, yeah. Speaking of more bodies and natural number nines, I see you put down Alexander Buhaov to Sochi. Um, which graveyard did they dig up to find his body? <laughs> yeah, I, I think most of us, had, we said just before we came on, we always forgot he existed. But um <laughs> Bukhar is a funny one for me. I mean, he's, what's he, 34 years old now. Oh. Uh, so he's obviously in the very, yeah, the very end of yeah. his, his career. Um, it's, <clears throat> I actually, I actually think he could do a very good job for Sochi because, you know, when you're a club at that level, I know it's a bit of a stereotype, but I do think having just a, a very solid, strong experience forward, not necessarily as first choice every game, but those difficult games when you need to close out the last half an hour or perhaps a game away from home where you need to play a more packed midfield, he can play in front of that. Um, I don't expect them to bring him in for his goals. I know it's going to sound odd as a forward, but more for his experience. And I think Sochi's recruitment has been very good this summer. So bringing in a striker like that, he should be able to get five or six goals. And it's another experienced Premier League player in their squad. They, they're starting already, Manu, I think, Sochi, to look quite an interesting prospect for this season. Mm. So I'm curious to see how he does and how Sochi do, of course. Yeah, we'll get to their first result in a moment. But read a really, really interesting article about Sochi that the, the promotion last year almost came in a little bit too as, as a surprise to the club. And that they had like no infrastructure, no players really for it. So they, they kind of like what we would call in North America an expansion franchise, right? They have to like hammer together this like team really quickly. Um, of course they, they got a decent help here from Sinit. Um, you know, probably some phone calls being made by, uh, the Rotenbergs to a certain company in St. Petersburg, <laughs> uh, trying to figure this out as quickly as possible. Um, I also see they've, they signed another Armenian, um, uh, from Niederkorn in Luxembourg, German passport. Hmm. Could be mm -hmm. interesting. I always, I always like to see, uh, random, random Armenian players do well. It's always uh, a fascinating <laughs> thing to watch. Um, also about Buhaov. I mean, 
I should I shouldn't joke too much about him because you know what he's actually a year younger than I am. Um, so let's quick- <laughs> <laughs> speaking speaking of well, digging people up out of graveyards, I guess uh, that's where my football career has gone to a graveyard. Uh, Andrew, we actually kind of have to go back to Krasnodar, and um, yeah, this is this is actually a, an interesting piece of news that you put down here. Murat Mozaev, one of the up and coming head coaches in Russian football, uh, extremely talented, plays a fun, fascinating style of football. Um, but <laughs> he doesn't have the license to do so because he doesn't have a license. Um, so he's being banned from the duckout for UEFA matches. What are they going to do with him? Like, uh, give him a vice president role or something like that? Like, I mean, we've seen it all, right? Um, Rostov being head coach yeah. by the vice president because, you know, the coach stepped down and, um, had to save his face after not, not getting the job he wanted. What are they going to do with Mosaev? Well, I think we're going to see another example of what you mentioned, the, the Rostov example when they, had their brilliant season two or three seasons go and got into Europe and the uh, the confusion over who was in charge was it Dmitry Kirilenko was it um, Mr. Kurban Badev there were three managers registered at different points of the season or at least mentioned as the manager and it was so it was amusing for us to watch because we all knew of course that Badev was running the side even though he was officially club president or like, it was confusing to know what they even called him. So with Krasnodar, that's, that's almost certainly what will, will have to happen. It even, it happens at all levels, not just in the Premier League, but, um, even at my club, FC Chumen, um, we had our manager was officially, um, uh, Yevgeny Maslov, who's a club legend and he's, he's studied for his badges very well, but he doesn't have a UEFA pro license. We brought in, uh, Andrei Evchenko, who is, he's knocked around the lower leagues. He's not really done a great deal, but he does have a pro license. He came in as basically a puppet. So on the registration forms, the manager officially was Evchenko. So in this case, it will be, uh, well, whichever coach Krasadar choose who has a pro license, Musaif will carry on managing as usual. The problem is though that UEFA have, um, will seem to have wisened up to this this ploy. Uh, I'm not surprised it's taken them this long because, you know, this is a team that are going to be in their flagship, at least qualifies for their flagship competition. So Masai will officially have to be on the bench. They'll have to, uh, they'll have to work out a way to um, allow him to prepare the team. But during the matches, it seems like they're going to crack down on this sort of thing. So not just on a manager ban from the touchline in general, I'm talking more than just Krasadai at this point. But when a, a manager is suspended, for example, you always see them with an earpiece up in the stands and they're in direct contact with the bench. Uh, I haven't had exact confirmation yet whether they are going to ban any type of communication, but you can be sure that Krasadai will find a way around it. So, um, Although it looks like a headline that seems negative, I don't think it will affect Krasadai too much in the long run. There's always smoke signs. They can, you know... <laughs> <laughs> that could work. It's just incredible, you know. He was last year. He was in UEFA Europa League, and no one, no one gave for them. And then all of a sudden, he's in Champions League, and this UEFA license is being waved around like, you know, an old newspaper. So uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's an interesting one. We'll see. We'll see uh, what's going to happen. I'm pretty sure they find a new UEFA license for Murat Musayev. It's Russia. I'm pretty sure they're going to sort it out. <laughs> they won't have problems, I don't think, no. No, but uh, speaking of problems, um, one club in particular is having some problems to sign uh, players. And yeah, that's um, our good friends in Spartak. No, usually we would give Tim this segment, um, but, you know, he's not here. So, yeah, so Tim was really excited about uh, Spartak potentially signing Yanis Hagi. The, uh, Romanian mm. sensation from the U21 European Championships. And, uh, I mean, ultimately, he ended up going to, uh, Gang, which is probably, I mean, a better stepping stone league for him anyways. Usually, you know, players, they go to a medium sized league like that and then, um, 
possibly move on to Germany and then take their career from there. Um, we've seen in the past young players going to Russia. I mean, one player who comes to mind in particular is Quincy Promise, right? Who stayed in Russia maybe a bit too long and then mm. um, went to Sevilla. That didn't quite work out. Had, had a good career move for him now by going to Ajax. But uh, Andrew, what is interesting about this Juhul Hyannis Hagi um, rumor is it basically tells us the sort of players Bartok have been targeting, right? Well, yeah, exactly. I think it's it's a positive sign that they are looking not just at young, talented prospects. That's not a unique approach for what well, most leagues around the world, but actually setting the sights, I say, reasonably high. Um, I know that's going to sound odd saying that about a player playing in the Romanian league. And that's a, quite a disrespectful thing to say about Romanian football, but it, it isn't at the top level of European football. But the fact is... Two things, really. Like you mentioned, he's shone on a continental stage at the under-21 Euros. Romania look a fantastic side, and he was effectively the star man. But also his name. Uh, there's no, no point trying to tiptoe around it. You know, when you are the son of one of the greatest players of European football in the 90s, um, there's going to be a certain tag around you. But he's justifying it. And when you put those two things together and the fact that half of Europe was after him, and okay, you might say it's a little over ambitious for Spartak to go for someone trying to compete with the top clubs in Europe. But I'd say, well, hang on a minute, why not? Spartak are a big club. For all the jokes we make about them, they do have a lot of appeal for younger players. Um, and I think actually he's made the right choice. Genk is a better club to go to for a bit more exposure as a stepping stone. Um, but it's interesting that Spartak were going for him. And but what it also shows is the type of player that Spartak need. Um, they struggled creatively um, quite a lot last season, and in their opening game, we'll come to it in more detail. But they struggled again to create chances, and that's what they need. They need a creator. So if they can't get Yanis Hadji, then they have to get somebody. Yeah. So like one of the players that has been rumored has been linked to them is uh, Gaston Pereiro um, from PSV. And that, that is an interesting rumor because we, of course, have an article up on him on Fußballstadt.com um, <laughs> called The Curious Case of Gaston Pereira. So, um, yeah, it, it is a bit of a curious case. Um, this is a, a player who, according to Transfermarkt.de, uh, is worth 12 million euros. They are about Um is he that creative number 10, though? That's the big question, isn't it, Andrew? Is that the sort of player that they need um, to, mm. to better their team? This is John Grills from the Creepy Podcast. With Best Christmas Ever on AMC+, Plus, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern iconic family classics like The Polar Express and The Year Without a Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men. New series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. And you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus. Only the good stuff. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Well... It's a, it's such a hard question to ask because uh, to answer sorry because if you talk about you know creative players how they can fit into a new footballing culture I'd argue that and this is probably the reason why Russian clubs or top Russian clubs have struggled to get the absolute best players that they're capable of signing because it's more of a I'd say it's more of a, a leap really to go from say for example. Um, Dutch football to Russian football than it is from Dutch football to, uh, you know, perhaps Belgian football or even English football. I don't know. Um, I think the way, from what 
from what we've seen of of Gaston Pereira, and I've not watched him religiously, but uh, you know, I've seen little clips of him and read about the style of player he is. He te- it seems like he doesn't have the defensive discipline to play in a system that requires him to do that work. And at Spartak, now that Zay Luis has gone, Ezekiel Ponce is not going to be pushing right up on the defence like um, like Zay Luis did. So a lot of the pressure is on Luis Adriano. So the players behind him are going to have to do more of an all-round job. And I'm not entirely sure he is the sort of player that Spartak should be going for. Unless, of course, they are purely going to turn a profit. Um, and he doesn't look like he's got the the commitment or the drive to be disciplined enough if it's not going his way 100% of the time. So that's a bit negative to say, but perhaps he would come, perhaps he would make a good impact, but I don't think he's quite the right sort of player. Um, uh, he's already 24, so I know it sounds silly, but in today's game, 24 is at the age where you need to be showing consistency uh, on, a, on a greater basis. So I'm not convinced he's the answer, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Speaking of consistency, um, also Fernando is rumored to head back to Genoa. Um, what do we know mm. about this, this rumor? Fernando is always a player that I kind of liked, but um, ever since that first year under, you know, ever since the year that they won the title, um, hasn't really been that outstanding. I mean, he scored that goal in the Champions League, right? And, but, you know, mm. wasn't so the sort of impact player he was uh, at the beginning of his Sparta career. No, absolutely. I mean, when he arrived, I, I honestly considered him at least in the top three players in Russia. He was absolutely brilliant that first season. So powerful. His passing was incisive. He used the ball well. Um, but I'll be honest, I agree with you. I think the last year, even 18 months of his Spartak career, he's effectively been living off the reputation of his spectacular set pieces. And now and again, they have dug Spartak out of the situation. He's, he's won one or two games with his set pieces, but he's become a bit ponderous on the ball. And I just don't, it doesn't look like his heart's in it anymore. Mm. Um, I'd say if Spartak could get somewhere near what they paid for him, uh, so effectively not take a loss. Uh, his wages will be one of the highest in the Spartak squad, so getting that off the wage bill will free us up for something else. I'd say Spartak should take the money. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure how strong the talk is of Genoa. I think it's largely, the rumours have largely come about simply because it's a return to the city where Spartak bought him from. You know, he played yeah. for Sampdoria before. So maybe there is some familiarity there. But if if Genoa make anything like a meaningful offer, and you've got to remember as well, when we say meaningful offer, we're talking in the context relative of the Russian Premier League. So nowadays we're talking of crazy transfer fees, obviously mostly around English clubs. They've driven prices up crazily in the last year or two. But a reasonable amount for Fernando, I'd say around 10, 12 million euros. If they could get that, I'd say they should they should take it. That would be good money for him. It's it's fascinating to see the sort of turnover that Spartak are doing right now. You know, a lot of the players, a lot of players going out and um, a lot of young players sort of coming up the ranks. I mean, you put down Neil Umyarov, for example, as a player that could get give him a chance, a 19-year-old uh, defensive midfielder in his stead. And uh, I mean, Glushenkov it's another option, although I see him further up the field. Also, again, 19 years old. I mean, the, the, the turnover at the Spartak side has been huge and the average age has already dropped down to 25.0, right? Um, and with Fernando, there's another player that would be on his way out. And I mean, they, they got rid of a few bad apples. Um, yeah. Throughout the, throughout the summer as well. It's just, it's such, just such a weird, turnover at the club and we're going to talk about the turnover some more but I mean is going young with Kononov who has done something similar at Krasnodar really the answer for this club I mean it seems almost very very drastic um, you know you always want to cut down the plant a little bit mm. for it to help grow but you don't want to kill it either it's risky I would say certainly 
But I, it depends how long-term you're allowed to consider this. And we know Spartak are not a long-term club. They tend to have knee-jerk reactions from Leonid Fadun. Um, I mean, when Massimo Carrera had, what is, 18 months in charge, that was about the most consistent we've seen Spartak for years. Uh, and it still went um, hair-shaped, really. It was the most bizarre thing that Carrera left. And... I know there was, you mentioned the Bad Apples leaving. Yeah. That's a very unspartak thing to do. They are an establishment club where the powerful players tend to hold sway and stay for some time. But uh, Denis Gushkov leaving particularly. But there was a comment that um, uh, Kambarov, Dmitry Kambarov made when he left saying that I thought was quite telling. He said it was, it was, it was pleasantly surprising to see how upset everybody was when we left. I thought the sheer arrogance of something like that was it demonstrated why it's a good thing that that Kambarov has left, that um, um, Glushenkov has left. Now, you mentioned Umyarov um, and Glushenkov. These two, they bought from Chitanapa. Um, I think it might be a year too early to consider them first-team options, but... The very unspartak-like rotation of the squad is healthy in the long term, but I'm wondering whether it will be the right move for Kononov himself, simply because to keep his job, he needs to guarantee European football, um, play reasonably good football. And I would love to say I think these young guys could do the job, but it's putting a lot of pressure on them. So Mm. for the club's health long term, I'd say, yes, it's a good thing. Um, For Kononov short term, I'd say it's a bit on the risky side. Uh, but I wonder whether we'll see his hand forced, whether Sparta will be able to sign the number 10 we've been discussing that they need uh, or not. So they certainly have enough talent there and young talent at that. So long term, it could be OK for them. Yeah. And uh, let's let's stay with Sparta here for a moment, shall we? And throw in a locomotive into the mix because and this is so weird. Um, it's such an odd rumor and um such an odd piece of speculation and also really uh although I shouldn't be surprised by this untransparent <laughs> contract situation. Gulliam, the Brazilian born Russian national team goalkeeper that plays for Locomotive, is rumored with an inner city switch to Spartak. Now that would add some experience to the dressing room, right? A backstopper who doesn't, mm. who's not made out of glass. Um, so those are two wins. Um, but what an odd transfer rumor. You know, you're taking one of the players, yeah. the biggest faces of locomotive of the last few years and shame on you, Loco, if you are not able to retain a player like that. And he could just hop on the metro, go onto the ring road. South and I go back up. Um, yeah, an odd one, really. Um, in so yeah, many ways, it's it is really. I mean, it's it's. I I don't know whether it's. I think it's odder for locomotive to if they are concerned. I don't imagine. I'm not sure. I buy into the rumor completely, but if locomotive even considered letting him go. It would be very odd. Not because he's the best keeper in the league, but he is very settled. He clearly loves playing for Loco. He was really proud to get his Russian citizenship having, well, I, it's going to sound awfully controversial, this, but done it the, the proper way. He really did fulfill all the residency requirements in the usual time. He's 33 as well, so that I don't yeah. see what the motivation is to move to a very unstable club like Spartak. Um, Loco, I would say, have a much better chance of returning to Champions League next season. Um, but also for Sparta, they already have three, arguably, frontline goalkeepers. Artyom Rebrov is on his way out. He's 35 years old, but he's got a lot of experience and he certainly could be um, a Premier League level goalkeeper. Um, and Alexander Selikov admittedly has had a shaky last year. He's made a few mistakes, but he's still a very good goalkeeper. Um, and Alexander Maximenko the youngest is mm. the first choice. You've got three very good goalkeepers there. Maximenko, I think, probably should be the first choice keeper. Um, uh, I would argue that Spartak need one less goalkeeper, not one more at the moment. Um, I would keep Rebroff and sell Selihoff for a bit more money, mm. keep Maximenko. One. It doesn't make sense to me, Manu, I'll be honest. Uh, but then again, what does in Russia? 
And they spent so much money on Sally Hoff. So, yeah. Anyhow. Well, yeah, they. I, I don't imagine uh, Mr. Fidun would enjoy taking a loss, but um, yeah, it doesn't make sense. I guess it's just a little bit more oil down the gas pipeline. Anyhow, um, I also have a Shirley watch on the document here, but there's nothing to watch. Um, we don't have any updates. Apparently, he was seen in Frankfurt, um, which sparked um, interest, uh, sparked a rumor that he could sign for Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, they issued the most vehement of all denials of all time. Um, so I believe them. They have no interest. So maybe his Kazakh model girlfriend is still working on this deal we'll find out or not um you know it could be one of those things but andrew let's talk about some actual football you know because it is actually back and we should probably also yes. talk about it i mean it is it's, it's this it's such an oddity that a season comes back so early that transfers are still such a main story. And it's July 17th. We have another seven weeks of transfer rumors to discuss. Uh, by the time the transfer window closes in Russia, we're actually almost at the fall. You know, Christmas is coming and all that. Um, such a crazy concept. But it's true. Um, by the time this transfer window actually closes, Russia will, will be seven matches into the league in the season already, um, which is almost a third. Uh, it's just, it's just crazy. I just thought about that now, but let's talk about the first games. So, um, we got the results. Arsenal against Dynamo Moscow, 1-1. Ural against Ufa, 3-2. Ooh, Andrew. Yes. Sparta <laughs> against, against Sochi, 1-0. Uh, the new boys on the block, um, losing to Spartak. Rostov against Orenburg, 2-1. Samara, Against CSKA Moscow, 2 0. That's probably the most surprising result of that match day. Zenit against yeah. Tampov, 2 1. Actually, this one is the next result that I'm going to say is probably also a bit surprising. Ahmad against Krasnodar, 1 0. And then you got Loco against Ruben, 1 1. Andrew, <sighs> I mean, Arsenal against Dinamo Moscow picking up a point each. Um, we, we're all a little bit interested in the Dynamo Moscow project. And I think we're going to leave Dynamo a little bit alone at the moment here because I, I don't have Tim back in for this. And I think we need to, we need to do another special <laughs> Dynamo Moscow podcast. Um, very soon, very soon indeed. But let's talk about your boys, Ural, um, against Ufa. That's a fantastic way of starting the new season, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, Ural are now the first East team again in the Russian Premier League, so hmm. I'm going to enjoy making every every team uncomfortable coming to Yekaterinburg. But Ural last season had huge, huge problems keeping clean sheets, and it took Stefan Strandberg arriving in the winter's transfer window to actually keep our first clean sheet. It took about, what, seven months of the season. Um, and again, we conceded twice. But the the good side is that Oral has spent a bit of money uh, by Oral standards, I might add. Their third highest transfer of all time, which was half a million euros for Rafael Agustiniak, um, who looked a really good, powerful midfielder. He had a, he had a decent debut. Um, Eric Bitfalvi scored twice, two good headers. But Ufa, now I thought Ufa were going to struggle quite badly this season. They've lost Dmitry Zhivoglidov to Lokomotiv. Um, Igor Deveev signed permanently for CSKA. I thought they were going to struggle, but they, they kept on coming. They were a, an organized little side. And I know a lot of people who are perhaps not regular watchers of the Russian League might not think it's relevant what happens to two sides who are going to finish lower down the mm. table. But that's where the uncertainty comes. And I think that's where more interest is in the table. Um, so, yeah, it was a great, it was a great win. Um, it means Oral are in the Champions League places uh, as, as things stand, second in the table. Um, so I'd just say let's finish the Premier League now and, and get Oral into the Champions League. <laughs> um, no bias though, right? <laughs> not at all. No, no, no not at all. Um, I, I, I do think that, that, I mean, that's a perfect way to start the season. It always is. Um, what did you make of the new boys, Sochi 
against Spartak 1-0, um, you know, not three points. I, you know what I found kind of odd is that they didn't get to start the season at home. Usually that's what you do with promoted sides, right? You give them a little bit of a, uh, a boost by letting them start at home. Didn't do that here. Uh, although again, this is Russia. Shouldn't surprise us too much. But what did you make of the new boys? <laughs> you know, they were, they were reasonably, reasonably well organized. Um, they actually had more shots on goal than Spartak after, I think it was up to like at least the first half. And I think up to about 60 minutes in, they'd had more shots, more shots on target. Um, they even hit the post um, and uh, the crossbar, sorry. Uh, Spartak struggled. They really did. And we mentioned their lack of creativity, but Sochi were, they were well organized. Um, Dimitri Polos was starting up front and he looked fairly not angry but disappointed or confused to be substituted off after about an hour and i always think that's a good sign yeah you know if you if you've run hard for 60 minutes and you're up against a big side you might think okay fair enough but he wanted to stay on i know he's only a new player but that's that's a positive sign um they will i will i'll say it right now they will survive this season and i think they will be relatively safe on this basis um if they can cause the big teams away from home problems like that then i don't think they should worry too much they were very very unlucky not to get a point um samuel gigo in well effectively the last minute of added time um scored the what turned out to be the only goal uh harsh on sochi to start with but like i say i think they will be fine this season I'm really curious to see um, how they're going to play at home um, in the first game against Zenit. Yeah. Although, <laughs> I know what Tim will say about this. Remember the, the meme that he shared with us last time around? That Zenit are going to start the season with, what was it, um, 12 points from the four matches against <laughs> Sochi and uh, Orenburg. Really curious to see if that prediction comes true because... <laughs> I mean, Zenit didn't exactly destroy Tumbov on match day one, no. either, did they? So certainly not. Certainly not. So maybe, maybe, maybe it won't be quite as easy um, as Tim predicted. Now, and we need to talk about this um, Samara against CSKA Moscow results because, oh, yes. um, as Chris always says on the Gegen Pressing podcast, football isn't played on paper. Because when you look at a piece of paper, you will see that CSKA Moscow had 19 to 9 shots, 69% possession, played 618 passes versus 288 passes, completed 83 of those passes, Samara only 72. But Samara had a guy named Alexander Sobolev who put the ball in the net in the 51st in the 58th minute and won the game 2-0. That's why football isn't play, played on paper. It's played on a piece of grass and uh, is a little bit against the odds sometimes because like, when you look at these numbers, if you had given me those numbers, Andrew, and I, ha <laughs> I hadn't looked at the result, I'd be like, oh, yeah, CSKA Moscow won this game like 5-0, right? But they didn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. It really is because it, it makes football so unpredictable. But I mean, nobody would have seen this result coming. Well, absolutely not. I mean, Krillia were little short of dreadful um, towards the end of the season. They lost, I think, nine of their last 11 games. They, After the winter break, they brought in all those experienced players like Samedov and Shishkin and Jano and Anidze. And they, they won the first two after the winter break, drew the third, and then after that, they just collapsed. And they looked a lot weaker. Again, like you mentioned, on paper, they looked yeah. a lot weaker. This um, this season, I thought, Tesco, they've got a settled squad like they usually do after summer. They do their transfer business reasonably reasonably well, reasonably in advance. Um, but I, I watched the game, and they looked very flat, very short of ideas, if, if in truth, like all of the big teams did on the opening weekend. Mm. Um Really, uh, I, when you mentioned those statistics, I hadn't actually checked them, but I'm surprised to hear they were quite so drastically separate, yeah. quite so in contrast, because the game didn't feel like that. Krillia didn't look rushed. They didn't look like they were lumping it forward, you know, as quickly as they could to make use of what little possession they had. Um, 
and something you don't normally associate with Tesco, especially under Viktor Goncharenko, was for the the opening goal. It was it was a simple ball, slightly over the top, but was taking Sobolev slightly wide. There were about five, six Tesco defenders in the box, and one Krylia Sovietov runner, but effectively he was on his own, surrounded by at least three defenders very closely. He took the obvious touch inside and space opened up and he, he finished very well into the far corner. But it was the sort of goal that absolutely no striker should ever be scoring unless they are, I don't know, Ronaldo or somebody. It mm. was it was very poor organisation by Tisca. So that was quite concerning, really. Um, and then he scores a penalty a few minutes later, and from then on, they they never really threatened. Krilia looked reads being control, and it just it really surprised me. Um, well, congratulations to them. Sobolev is a player people should keep an eye on. I've been impressed with him for a few years now, and I'm pleased to see him have success. But Tesco, they should be concerned after that performance. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they did lose their best one of their best defenders in uh, Rodrigo Bijal. Right, who didn't? Yeah, who didn't retain yeah. after his loan deal, and his his um, buy-on clause was ridiculously low, if I remember correctly. Um, like they didn't have to pay very much for him to stick around, and they opted not to. He's gone to Udinese. Um, good career move for him yeah. because I, I I think he is a player that can play in a top five league. Um, no problem at all. I mean, what a bargain buy he was last year, but it's only a bargain buy if he actually retained that kind of player, right? Um, mm. they did bring in Svonimir Salia from, uh, Slav and Belupo from Croatia, right? Um, again on, on one of those odd loan deals. Um, we, we mentioned him a little bit last week, but, um, just didn't seem to bring the same stability that Bishao brought. Um, to the squad and that that is something that's you know that's going to hurt them a little bit right if, because like um uh-huh. especially playing from the back last year like when they had odd results going into the season we said okay like this is a rebuild year under Goncharenko we kind of expected yeah. expected it to be a difficult season for them they still finished fourth which is actually really respectable right and they're going to be in the Europa League so it's kind of yeah it's kind of interesting how they were able to retain Flasic, such an important piece, 15 million euros spent, um, but they're not very able not to, and, and defense is such an important part of the way Goncharenko builds his play up, right from the back, and there's the stability that comes with it. Um, I said 82% pass completion rate, that's that's quite normal for CSKA, the way they play, but it's actually in the lower end um, for, for their numbers, so it's it's... Yeah, maybe just another piece missing for them there, and it was brutally exposed, right? Yeah, I mean the uh, the, the squad that Tesco have built up. I mean, Bekao, like you mentioned, is a is a loss, a big loss. He's not. A, ironically, I think of all Tesco's defenders, I'd say Bekao is the least composed on the ball, but his positional sense was so good, and that's what allowed the others to. Uh, to play the ball forwards, Bacau would do, I wouldn't say not the donkey work, but he would organise the defence, he would be positioned well, he'd win almost all of his duels, so the likes of Horda Magnussen or um, De Vere when he played. Uh, even uh, even Kirill Nababkin, I thought, actually did quite a good job when he filled in in a back three. Um, so they need that leader. Now, Victor Vassin has come back from injury. Perhaps long-term he's going to have to play the Bacau role, but he looks like they moved to a back four again, and yeah. um, I'm not entirely sure that's the right move for them. I would stay with a back three, personally. I'd have Vatten in the middle. I'd have possibly Devev and Magnussen. Um, Salia, I, I'm yet to make up my mind on him, but they've spent a little money on the loan fees, so they must see a lot of promise in him. Have a leader like Vatten in the middle, ball players either side of him, and then use the whip for Fernandez and maybe Shenikov or whoever on the left. Um, yeah, it's a lot of food for thought for Goncharenko. I know it's only one game and the first game of the mm. season. There's a bit of nerves, a bit of settling, but this is the beauty of the Russian league. There's such little time to settle in because yeah. there's only 30 games for the whole season. So 
he can't afford another game like that. Otherwise, they're chasing already. So uh, they'd certainly need to improve for next next week. And the same can be said about Grasnodar. Again, uh, football is not played on paper because if it was, then Grasnodar actually did lead. Um, and also, almost all the categories, except for shots on goal, and that's probably why Ahmad ended up winning the game because, you know, you can have as much ball possession as you want and Grasnodar 62% and complete as many passes as you want, uh, 82% in this case, over 676. But... Ahmad actually had six shots where Krasnodar only had three and one of them Bernard Berisha put in net in the 28th minute. And, you know, it's again, football isn't played on paper. It's such a beautiful analogy. Uh, I get to hear it all the time on the Gegen Pressing podcast. I'm so glad I get to use it on this one so, um, <laughs> because that's a great example of it. And maybe not having a coaching license is, a, is an important thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe UEFA actually have something right after all, but yeah, yeah I mean, it's it was again. It's I really do think it all the the big five, if you like, um, uh, Zanit Spartak, Teska, Loco, and Krasnodar, they all underperformed in their yeah. various ways. And Zanit did get their result that they needed Spartak too, but um, I mean, Ahmad, you can never quite trust that they're going to make a genuine. Assault on the top five. They were, they're just your classic, solid, difficult to beat at home, collapse away from home, mid-table side. But um, I, they do have one or two game changers. Um, Ismail Silva has been fantastic for them, and I think they'll do well to hold on to him for much longer. Mm. Um, but Berisha, yes, he scored the goal, but he was just devastating the entire game. He's, I would argue, one of the most relentless powerful runners of the ball yeah. he never gives up on a lost cause never lets a defense settle uh ironically his goal was a kind of a scrappy finish it was a sort of half bicycle kick volley that deflected off a defender and Matvey Safanov did did not do well enough um for that he had saved a penalty from Berisha earlier in the game um but then he sort of <laughs> revert he he didn't live up to the the penalty save with um with the goal itself, but Ahmad deserved it. Again, yeah. you know, the numbers, like you mentioned, absolutely correctly, the numbers were irrelevant. Ahmad used their numbers more effectively. Um, so, uh, catching up to do for Tesco and Krasnodar already after game week one. Yeah. Um, the final thing that I want to point out when it comes to all the matches that we saw this weekend is uh, Lokomotiv. Again, big one of the big ones stumbling. But Alexi Miranchuk's free kick, Andrew. Oh, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, actually, Manny, the thing about that free kick, it was not, I mean, it was just spectacularly in the top corner, postage stamp free oh, kick. So nice. But the, you know, what was interesting, the referee after the game admitted that under the new IFAB rules over free kicks, where um, attacking sides are not allowed to interfere in the wall. The free kick should not actually have been mm, allowed. And the referee said, point. I knew that at the time. Um, but it, and he was asked, well, why did you allow the goal then? And he said, well, because nobody would have understood why I had disallowed it. And I think actually that point is true. I'm not saying it justifies mm. not allowing the goal. But he said, if I had not allowed the goal, it would have been a riot or something. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of three or four loco players were on the corner of the wall and I'm not saying they directly did help, but according to the rules, they should, the free kick should not have been allowed, should have been retaken. That's a, that's a, that's um, an important point because they did change the rules and regarding that, right? Mm, yeah. Um, and you know, I've, a lot of the football I've watched over the weekend, um, I've seen in what is now an infringement in that yeah. sense. A lot of players trying to disrupt the balls. And I actually think the rule is a good one because you end up with so much pettiness, so much yeah. niggling and pushing and shoving, and it clears it up. But anyway, it was a, the technique was fantastic. Um, but Alexei may have done well, but Anton, his brother, missed the penalty. So again, uh, it's, um, is it, I, I don't think it's nerves really, but once again, Loco didn't score in the first half. Yes, they took the lead and tried to grind Rubin down, but um, they couldn't hold on. So... Again, it's dropped points again from a big club. Yeah, at least on paper, though, the game was actually even. And I actually, Ruben had the majority of the play. So sometimes I guess the paper 
actually matches the reality. Um, <laughs> Andrew, final point that we need to discuss. It's on, man. You're writing a book about FC Tuman in the third division. Uh, how did that first game go today? Uh, well, not today. <laughs> sorry. Um, that was yesterday. Yesterday, yesterday. Uh, yesterday. Um, I getting all my dates and times and everything. It's the off season, you know. I, I don't have anything. <laughs> uh, it was the off season. I'm not quite yet bearing my, uh, mental capacity onto something called a match day, which is usually if I don't have that, I, I'm lacking an anchor and then I'm just drifting at sea. <laughs> so, um, confuse my, my, my inability to keep a hold of time and space. Um, yeah, how did that first first game go in the third division? You played against Kamas, uh, yeah. legendary Russian, yeah. former Russian Premier League club. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit how that went. Uh, I'm always intrigued about lower level Russian football. <laughs> you know, it's just I, anybody who genuinely loves the game, I cannot understand how you would not be intrigued by Russian lower league football. Mm -hmm. If you follow the Premier League, there's madness on a big scale, but that's more about the misuse of resources, for example, or um, a player making controversial comments. At this level, literally nobody knows what to expect. It commands, okay, for a bit of context, we're, we're talking about the PFL, the third tier, which is regionalized. There are five regional divisions in the third tier, and Tumen play in the Oral Pavolja region. So a couple of the Premier League sides are in there. Um, with their double teams, their reserve teams, Ural and Ufar have their reserve teams in the division, both of whom did very poorly in the third tier last season. But Kamaz was second in the division, and they've been a strong side at this level for some time without getting promoted the last few years. Um, and the Chumen, they were in the Fennel for two or three years. They are a big side for this level, but they got rid of or sold or lost 15 players they signed 12, so it was a learning exercise. I, honestly, I didn't know most of the new players. Um, I'm getting to know them quickly. Um, Chumen hadn't won since November. The last time they won was back in the uh, middle of November against Nizhny Novgorod, uh, against Denis Cheryshev's side. Um, and I don't think they'd scored three goals in the first half for something like three or four years. I couldn't remember. Um, so, yeah, so that's what happened. Within three minutes, a, a debutant had scored. It was a good back post header. Two men have some very young, quick, wide players. Good cross to the back post. Um, and Kamaz equalised. But then the last 10 minutes of the first half, two men scored another couple. One of the goals was by Artur Gazdanov, who used to play for Kamaz. He... He was a really, really good left winger. He looked really lively, very, very quick and powerful, but terrible goalkeeping to let it in. He scored from about 25 yards out. So 3-1 up. Um, and second half, Kamaz came back. So it was an end-to-end -end game, basically. Kamaz were poor in the first half, but good in the second half. Um, they scored with about was it 15, 20 minutes to go. So it was a bit nervy. There were eight yellow cards in the game. But this is the best part, Manu. You'll love this bit. Um, Kamaz's captain was booked in the first half. Second half, he elbowed Chumen's captain in the face and was quite rightly booked again. But he stayed on the pitch because the referee didn't realise he'd already booked him. <laughs> he even admitted to Chumen's manager after the game that it was quite hard to keep track of all the yellow cards, but he believed at the time that it was the first yellow card he'd given to the Kamaz captain. But um, the well, we watched the replay. We all knew at the time. The entire press box screamed out, "That's a second yellow card! You've got to send him off now." <laughs> um, but yeah, it stayed for two, and we won. Amazing stuff, Andrew. Um, uh, you know, I'm just so I'm so glad that <laughs> this this like third division experience. Um, it's just that yeah, <laughs> you know. It, you don't have it often that some someone goes down and then you have this excitement. It's almost like a fresh start, isn't it, for for a club? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's I know in your well um, your area, it's one of those topics. But promotion relegation brings mm. this sort of beauty to revitalizing a club. 
and it, for Tumen, it's probably what they needed. Um, a lot of players weren't quite the right mental capacity, but this season, we've got young players coming through, we've got a couple of 18-year-olds made their debut. Um, it was exciting. There were a lot of goals, a lot of problems as well, but that's what the course of the season is there for, to, to work on it. Um, but it, it just felt good. It felt good instead of a season of being trodden underfoot and missing out by narrow margins. Suddenly, we're the ones in control. We were the ones winning. Mm. Um, so this season, yeah, like you say, Manu, I've I've made the crazy decision. I'm going to follow them home and away every game. I'm going to document how the club is developing, what the atmosphere in the squad is like. I'm going to interview the managers, the players, the journalists, the fans. I'm going to get as deep as I can into a club, and hopefully. Uh, not just for book sales, of course, but uh, for my own personal satisfaction. Hopefully, it will end in promotion. But at this level, you just cannot predict anything. So if you're interested, you like something slightly different, this is something you've got to follow. Follow me on social media, and yeah. at the end of the season, the story will come out. Oh, man, I can't wait. I love lower league fo <laughs> football in Russia, and especially like that like that part. Um, yeah, just that's just such an such an odd division and such an interesting part <laughs> of the world. So I think this this book is going to be fascinating. It's going to be fascinating you developing the story as well. So yeah, I just can't wait, and I'm super excited. And I'm super excited to have a part of uh, this podcast, and maybe some articles of football grad as well. It's like um, absolutely. I know that there's an appetite for it, which is. Odd, but I guess it's such a romantic notion, right? That people just want to hear those stories. They, they don't, um, a lot of the first divisions now are such plastic products and there's so much money involved that you're just kind of happy right. when you, when you, when you get something that's re much more relatable, maybe as a product. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I, for example, I'm a, I'm a Manchester United fan. But when I come back to England during the summer or during the winter, I love more than anything to go to my nearest non-league club um, because it's relatable. You know, the yeah. fans know the players. They mingle with them after the game. It really, you know, it, every every minute, every moment, every victory makes a real difference to the future of the club, the atmosphere of the town and the community. And you can't you can't get that. And in top flight football, I'll yeah. always be a Manchester United fan and that will always be my priority. But I'm getting to live something really special here. And fans of low league clubs will understand that. Um, but fans of low league Russian football in particular, this really is just, a, I hope, I hope there is enough interest for it. Um, but if people, if people want to learn more, if they're interested, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a journey. So come with me on this journey. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. I think this is a good time to, to call this a day, Andrew. And, you know, people wanting to follow you on this journey, where can they find you? Well, I'm uh, on Twitter at Andrew M.I.J. Flint. Um, I usually post little, I'm going to start posting two minute videos um, before and after games there um, on Instagram, same, same address. And I have a YouTube channel as well, where I'll post all the videos as well. So especially for away games, that would probably be quite interesting to see. So just Andrew Flint on YouTube as well. Um, and uh, during the season, there will be some updates on footballgrad.com too. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. Um, speaking of footballgrad.com, you can follow all the content that we produce at footballgrad live on Twitter. Um, you can follow me at Manuel Weff. Um, I don't have quite that much. Oh, who am I kidding? I have a lot going on. Um, you can find my content on <laughs> Forbes and, uh, at the International Champions Cup. Then, of course, I do uh, my football guard live stuff. And then I'm also on Pro Soccer USA, where I cover the Vancouver Whitecaps and um, the North Americans playing in Europe. So um, you can follow me at Manuel Weff, and all that content will be there, and some content at Football Guard Live. Um, and also, of course, Russian football. Um, I like to do my scouting reports, a little background, political stories, etc. on Russian football, football in the post-Soviet space in general. So um, if you're interested in that sort of thing, give me a follow. Well, guys, that's it from this week. Um, hopefully next week we'll have Andrew back on this podcast. And um, yeah, Russian football is back. So let's keep enjoying it. Until next week, Dosvidanya. <laughs>
you love watching live TV but are tired of your huge cable bill? Sling TV has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price, so you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your favorite sports, news, reality TV, and more. Ditch cable and get Sling's total live streaming solution with free local channels. Setup and installation are included. Make the smart choice and switch to Sling TV. Get the best of cable for the best price. Learn more at sling.com slash cut cable. That's sling.com slash cut cable. Setup and installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for 12 months. Restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.